Welcome to Clean Break, the weekly divorce podcast. We share the stories and experiences of divorce professionals. Find all the answers about the many complex questions about divorce and separation at divorcenet.ca. I am Darren Javag, the chair of DivorceNet and your host for the show. And with me is Tina Marie, DivorceNet's vice chair and co-host of the show. And this is a special uh, special show today. We're interviewing Tina. She's on the hot seat. Uh, she is a, a mortgage agent with Dominion Lending, and uh, she's going to be focusing a little bit on herself today. Normally, Tina, you and I are focusing on other people. Yeah. We're trying to build them up, make sure that we're floating all the boats around us. And now it's a time for us to shine a light on your boat and talk about you and what's going on in your life. When, and I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. Thank you, Darren. It's always a little more nerve wracking when you're the on the hot seat um, yourself, right? Seat. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I am a mortgage agent with a company called Dominion Lending Centers. I worked for a bank for about 15 years and then uh, switched over to be an independent mortgage agent just a little over a little less than eight years ago. Um, worked from home. I have three sons and uh, worked from home for the first six years-ish and then decided that I needed to open an office, that I needed to get out of the house and um, be in a community rather mm-hmm. than in my rural country home. Be your own boss? Yeah, well, and yeah, I've been my own boss for almost eight years, but <clears> it's um, but now I'm, I'm in an office. I opened up an office inside an accounting firm in Kempfel mm-hmm. and um, it's been a, a good move for me and uh, mortgages have always been something I enjoyed even when I worked at the bank I had multiple uh, uh, multiple jobs and job descriptions at the bank but my favorite part was always doing the mortgages so it's a pretty good fit I'm pretty active in my community I do lots of different things Mm -hmm. and um, my boys I have a my oldest is away at college and so uh, two are at home still and Mm -hmm. I'm married three boys yeah lovely husband husband. yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've been married for a long time so we're just talking about that how many years um well it'll be 26 this year amazing yeah and I'm only 29 Wow. <laughs> and if you believe that, well, I have some oceanfront property back at Kempfel for you. Yeah, either that or, or, or your husband's getting arrested for something. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, is... we were quite young. I was quite young. We uh, we dated for six years before we got married. Wow. So um, I, I met him in high school. So we're, we were pretty, I was pretty young. That and, You've uh, got to be in the smallest of smallest margins. You know, when you hear people say, well, the 1% do this, you're probably the 1% of the 1%. You know, it's really kind of funny because um, I, the people that we generally hang out with as a couple are all still married in long, long time marriages. I have a friend who's just celebrating their 25th. Uh, we're going to a party next weekend. And so, you know, um, and it seems kind of funny that I'm um, the vice chair of a divorce group. Hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that part of that is that like you've, you've, You've talked about those st- statistics about, you know, 50% of marriages end up in, in divorce. And so there's a huge market for it. And um, as far as people need people who are professionals and can help and guide them along that path mm-hmm. of, of what to do during the divorce. So I really think that DivorceNet is a great resource for those people mm-hmm. and uh, people like yourself who do financial planning and, um, you know, we've had a guest, you know, a guest on an insurance broker, mm-hmm. you know, and, you, and, and some of the things he said were like, oh, 
wow, like it was like a light bulb went off and I never even saw, I didn't know how an insurance person could help somebody going through a divorce. And, and yet, you know, I've learned that in, in these podcasts and, and speaking to people. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's been quite the ride. Yeah, it has Last been. Last four months, you yeah. and I, uh, I mean, you and I have always hit it off. Like you were, uh, you and I work together on many other projects. So mm-hmm. we kind of have a, a, a similar mindset, right. which is great. And yeah. um yeah, it's been a quite a, quite the ride for the last four months now. Uh, one of the, I was just looking at the statistics, and um, you know, in the last month, we've had a hundred hundred and fifty percent increase in uh, Facebook engagement as far as our page, like likes on our on our posts and whatnot. Right. We've had a hundred fourteen percent over thirty seven hundred people reached by all of the information, the content that we're putting out. Yeah. And that's just locally. Well, I mean, I'm certain there's some larger reach as well, but it's amazing. It's It's crazy. It's kind of scary, really. Yeah, I know, because when you and I started talking about this, I mean, one of the things we talked about was that there was kind of a stigma Mm -hmm. around divorce, around divorce that, you know, people were worried about talking about it or seemed to be profiteering mm-hmm. from people going through divorce because it right. was a negative situation for people yeah. to go through. And I know you and I talked about this and, and and one of the things I know we both came to the assertion was we're in it to help people. Right. We want to help people. We're going to do as much as we can to help people and ignoring divorce doesn't make it stop. Right. Doesn't make it go away. Absolutely. And it probably prolongs it. Mm-hmm. Makes it harder to get through. Right. Burying your head in the sand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I and I think um, even though we've only been at this for four months, mm-hmm. I've learned a ton Me just too. listening to people in these podcasts. Amazing. It's been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I know you're a huge wealth of knowledge hmm. in your category because you mentioned yeah. that you work for the bank. Yes. And, uh, hey, you know, I have nothing against the banks because nope. they do a good job of what they do. And they produce some of the best and most professional people absolutely. that go out and do their own thing, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. you're, you're a perfect yeah. example of that, yeah. right? Because you're in the community. You do a ton. You, you, give, you give back. And I don't like using that term give back because it, it implies that you've taken. Right. Right. But, I always, but you're a huge giver. So um, I am a huge advocate of volunteering. Of, yeah. of, of doing things in the community and um, I've watched I've watched my parents do it and I hope I've modeled that for my kids I, I just I love doing things for people I take a lot of pride in that and maybe that's selfish I don't I don't know but I love um, to just help people and I do that I think I do that um, outside of my profession but I uh, it's really important for me to do that inside of my profession and you know I I was criticized one time when I when I worked for the for the bank um, I, that I talked too much to the clients, and I, I I thought you know what if I have to spend an hour explaining these documents to people then I will do that because they need that and I always tell people if what you are nodding your head and saying yes you understand what I'm saying mm-hmm. but I guarantee you you will go home and you will go huh. What did she mean about that? About that, I don't understand that. Or you're trying to explain it to somebody else. And I always tell people, I do this on a daily basis. I am doing mortgages and I have done mortgages for <laughs> eight years straight and before that as well. And I know this stuff. And even sometimes I have to go, okay, what is that? And mm-hmm. so when you've done one mortgage or this is your first, or maybe you, you, you're you on your second, but the first one you did was 15 years ago. How do, you, how do I expect you to understand 
everything I've told you. Right. Sure. It makes sense, but you may not, you may go home and go, I don't understand what that was. Right. And so I take a lot of pride. I really enjoy that. I enjoy seeing people's light bulbs go off when I've explained something, how a biweekly accelerated payment works versus a biweekly regular payment, you Mm -hmm. know, how you can take off time off your, your mortgage by doing an accelerated payment and it's just, I love that. I, I really enjoy that. And I, you know, we've always had this conversation. I love mortgages and I can make I mortgages you, exciting. You, you get so <laughs> pumped and jazzed about mortgages. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a difficult industry because it's, it affects the largest asset that clients have. Like most individuals in life, their most valuable asset is their home. The most expensive mm-hmm. asset they're going to own is mm-hmm. their home. Mm-hmm. And financing that can be the trickiest, yeah. right? Because in the past, there's been so many rules. Right. And going forward, the rules keep changing. That's it's right. never it's a moving target. Absolutely. Right? Um, I'll be honest with you. I, as, a, as a financial planner, um, I've had very, very low-level kind of like instruction on mortgages and right. how they work and stuff like that. And I just understanding how to implement them in a plan is one thing. I stopped paying attention since you became my friend. Okay, <laughs> awesome, yay! <laughs> because it's like you know what I I I always tell people I'm not a I'm not a plumber, right? So I I don't want to get into the minutia of this stuff because it's it you have to spend so much time understanding it mm-hmm. as a product, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the products. So um, we're gonna get into this. Sure. I know people want to hear about like what is important when you're going through divorce and yeah. and your mortgage. So we're gonna get into this now. Um, Tell me, Tina, what are some of the biggest mistakes that most clients make when when they're getting divorced and dealing with their mortgage? So, oh man, Um, trying to do it too quickly, Mm -hmm. trying to um, not have plans in place, not have separation agreements or or have, um, you know, separation agreements are key. They are very important in in the mortgage process. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that Mm -hmm. after, but um, I think people just, they... They're so emotionally attached to things mm-hmm. and um, their homes are, you know, I always tell people, uh, what are the two most important things to people? And it's usually their family and their finances. Right. And their mortgages are a huge part of that. Where you live, especially if you have kids, you want to have a house for your children. You want to have a home over your children's heads, right? If you're in a situation where you're buying your spouse out or your spouse is buying you out and you need to find another place, um, you don't want to move two, three times, right? So I think that in the haste, you just go, okay, I have to leave this marriage. I have to get out. I have to get a home. And so then you go and try to, you try to buy another house and then you start looking and you, and then you find a house you love and you absolutely want and need for your children or for yourself, but you don't have all the other things in place first. Right. And that is very problematic. So let's talk about that. What are some of those things that you need to have in place and lock down before you even, even entertain looking at a place? I I am going to say a separation agreement. Now uh, that is the, that is the easiest and most effective and efficient way to get a house on your own is to have a separation agreement in place. So part of that would be, um, and obviously I'm not a lawyer, so go, go see a lawyer. Um, but you know, are you selling the matrimonial home? Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you need the proceeds of that matrimonial home to be able to buy another home? 
Mm. Is your partner buying you out of that home? Those are all things that you need to know before you decide to put an offer in on another place, right? right? So I think it's just taking a little bit of time and make having those discussions. And I know that's tough in a, when you're divorcing, mm. um, but having those discussions, what is it going to look like? Is the house going to be sold? Do we have money left over from the sale of the house by the time you pay realtor fees and potentially breakage fees to break your mortgage? Mm. Those number crunching, that that number crunching needs to happen prior to you starting to look for a home right i because the problem is again we get emotionally attached and we go oh i found a house it's on the market i have to go buy this now but you don't have all those other things done and while it doesn't mean we can't get that mortgage for you it certainly makes it far more challenging Mm -hmm. it can make it far more um, stressful Mm -hmm. for you for your mortgage person for your realtor for your lawyer so i think that just taking your time don't be afraid to slow it down a bit right so pre-qualifying would probably be a smart thing to do with you pre-qualifying yeah right before you start looking is (laughs) pre-qualifying pre-qualifying um and and making a decision um okay so we've sold our house or our house is listed but is the separation agreement done right okay so let's just go from i've heard you bring that up like three times a separation agreement so that's a big piece right It, it is because what it does for a lender and it's it's all to do with the lender right okay so um the lender will always want to know because there's so many things involved in a separation agreement, division of assets, custody, mm-hmm. child support, alimony. Those are all things that are included, generally speaking, and there's others. There's insurance. Do you know, is one party, party or one party got to keep, do you have to keep life insurance mm-hmm. on, you know, you know, separating? I've got life insurance on you. Do I have to keep it on you? You know, um, am I included in your, um, um, healthcare mm-hmm. at work, right? Mm-hmm. Those are all things that are addressed in a se- in a separation agreement. So aside, so lenders, do they care about the healthcare? Probably not. Do they care about um, whether you keep insurance on it? No, not really. They care about what is the division of assets. Mm-hmm. They care about child support and alimony. So from a lender's perspective, the lender says, okay, there is no division of assets. So we don't know how much money you're getting. We don't know if you're going to owe more money. We That affects your ability to borrow. So if you're doing um, equalization on RSPs or equalization on pensions, those things could affect whether you actually have to pay more child support or if you have to pay alimony. So if you're having to pay alimony on a monthly basis and that's not settled, well, how do you know whether you qualify for that mortgage? How, how do you know you have enough cash flow? How do you know you have enough cash flow? Right. Currently, I, I just had a client and he pays, like, <laughs> I, I nearly choked, to be honest with you. He pays an ex, but like he pays more in alimony than most people make in a year. In a salary. Yeah, it, yeah. You know, right. and so <clears throat> those things affect your ability to borrow. Mm-hmm. And lenders want to make sure their position is secure. Right. It's all got to come down to security. And if those things are all up in the air, we the lender has no idea how much you actually qualify for. Right. 
So where, so this is where a separation agreement is so important. And I know that it can be time consuming. I, if people drag their feet, if one spouse isn't as worried about it as the other, um, all of those things are a concern to a lender. Right. Now you said lender. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Okay. When you say lender, you have multiple lenders you can deal with. Correct. Right. So Tell people yeah. about that. What's the difference? So a mortgage agent, a mortgage broker, um, we have access to multiple lending institutions. Mm -hmm. So we can, um, we have access to banks, some of the chartered big five banks. We have access to um, what are called, um, well, other chartered Schedule A banks that aren't part of the big five. Mm -hmm. We also have what are called monolines, where a monoline is a non-bricks and mortar type of company, and they only deal in the mortgage broker world. Mm -hmm. um, and they offer different products. So they're still bound by the rules and regulations set out uh, quite a bit from the federal government, qualifying rates we hear about, the stress test, um, you know, but they have a little more flexibility sometimes than some of the banks do. They have a little more flexibility to um, use child support from the paying spouse a little differently. And so um, when you come to a mortgage agent, then you actually have me shopping around for you. So when you go to a bank, you go to that bank and you, they're going to try to put you in their little box. And if you don't fit inside their box, then you don't necessarily, then you can't get a mortgage. So then you go to the next box or bank and they try to put you in their box, which is probably fairly similar to the first bank's box. And so when you come to someone like me, what I do is I take your application. I look at all the particulars. I look at separation agreements. I look at child support, alimony payments, division of assets, and then I find out which lender will do this for you. Mm -hmm. How do we make this work? Um, and there's so many, it, it's, this is what I love about it. It's the creativity, right? right? It's not just, it's not just, I'm not just pushing papers and pushing numbers and saying, Oh, doesn't Checking fit boxes the, on the computer screen. Right. I'm, I'm working hard and diligently to find the best scenario, the best lender for you, given your circumstances. And that's what I love about it is that it's not just trying to put people in, you know, those square pegs into round holes. Yep. Um, so I know I've said separation agreement about a hundred times today. Yep. Yep, yep. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk a little bit about ways around separation agreements. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're not, they are really important as I've mentioned, but we can, depending on the circumstances, do what are called affidavits. Okay. So an affidavit is a sworn statement. It's sworn in front of a person of the court, whether it be in a lawyer's office or uh, in a courthouse or whatever. But it is a sworn statement stating that you, generally speaking, um, stating that you do not pay child support or alimony. Right. Okay. Right. And the only reason why it's generally speaking when you don't owe it that these affidavits work because mm -hmm. I can swear to you that I'm only paying $500 a month mm -hmm. until the courts say, no, Tina, you're paying $800 a month. Right, right. Right? Um, I can swear to you that I'm getting $500 a month until the courts say, no, you're only getting three. Wow. Right? Okay. So when there's child support required to make the mortgage application work. So if I am the receiving spouse, I'm getting, I'm getting child support. If I need that child support 
to help make the mortgage work financially, it pretty well needs to be done in a separation agreement. Right, right. So an affidavit doesn't work in that. But let's just say I'm getting child support, but it's not, I, you know, my, sp- my ex-spouse is paying me X, mm-hmm. but I don't need it to, to make qualify. things work. And we're not completely settled on what it is that I'm getting, but I don't need the money. Mm. As long as I swear that I'm not paying it mm. and it's signed, it's a sworn affidavit, it's a legal document, we can usually make it work. Got to find a lender to do it, though, mm-hmm. right? Not every lender will allow yeah, I was a say, sworn affidavit. What happens if uh, what happens if the person's just trying to get it placed, right? And then is kind of fibbing a little bit about the whole thing. Right? Yeah, it is a it is a legally sworn document. Right. You lie on it. Yeah, 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 I don't yeah, know yeah. what the repercussions are. There's no lawyer in the room right now. No, so. no, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Generally, they're done through your lawyer, right? Mm-hmm. Generally, it's the lawyer's office that signs that. It is a lawyer's office who prepares these documents, and you sign. Okay. Now, I had a really interesting situation um, this year, actually. I had a client who um, had a matrimonial home that is still for sale. Um, Not, no separation agreement, no mortgage on that property. Okay. Okay? Um, The no separation agreement there. So the division of assets has not actually occurred yet. And um, the no, no, um, no child support has been relied upon mm-hmm. the my client will be is receiving child support but it's not been settled mm-hmm. my lender wanted an affidavit done by the lawyer and now every affidavit i've done before has been my client signing this sworn affidavit saying i am not paying child support right there is you know no division of assets because there's no home to divide or the home's already been sold this particular client literally had the the lender was asking the lawyer to sign a sworn affidavit. <laughs> and and the funny thing was is that the affidavit was only as of that moment in time. So the lawyer signs a legal document saying as of right now, today's date, my client does not pay child support and my there's no division of assets. Right. So that might change tomorrow at 8 a.m. Correct. <laughs> the lender accepted it. I was like completely blown away, wow. to be honest with you. But huh. it takes a little bit of digging. It yeah. takes a little bit of, nope, doesn't fit the box, can't do it. Right. You know, you right. got to go beyond that. And that's what I love about my job is that I love going beyond that. I love finding those solutions for people that aren't cut and dry. I think you're a, like in, in your heart of hearts, you're a problem solver. You just love solving problems. I do. Yeah, I, I do. totally see that about you. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, so so tell me a little bit more. Is there anything more you want to talk about when it comes to uh, uh, separation agreements or affidavits? Is there other nuances that put that put sand in the grease when you're making, when you're making that machine run and you're trying to get that mortgage done. Mm-hmm. Um, is there another kind of pitfall that people don't think about that you can think of? No, I think I've pretty well, that's the big ones. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, just off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything else about- that I can speak to in that regard. How about expectations? Um, tell me a little bit about uh, what when clients come into your office. I mean, obviously there's an expectation there that they, they want to buy a house. Mm-hmm. They have whatever their, their, their salary is mm-hmm. and they, you know, have no idea of what they can afford. Right. Right. So yeah. do people come into your office with an expectation of grandeur that they're going to, you know, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But okay. you know what? In, in 
fairness, I have lots of clients that come into my office and they want to be more realistic, right? right. Like the numbers say you can afford X, Y, Z. This right. is the house you can afford based on my debt servicing ratios that I have to fall within. Right. Um, there's lots of clients that will say, yeah, but I, I try to ask people, what can you what are you comfortable with? Right. Not what my system says you can afford. Mm -hmm. What's the mortgage payment that you're comfortable with in order to maintain a lifestyle? Because mm -hmm. I never want to see people house poor, right. particularly divorcing clients who are now um, having to, you know, two people live in a house and you, you know as well as I do that a lot of people struggle to make ends meet with two incomes in one household. Right now, all of a sudden you have two incomes, two households, right? And it, it's extremely difficult. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's budgeting. You need to sit down and really take a hard look at what can you afford? What if something changes? What if that child support changes? What if I, what if my spouse, my ex spouse no longer has a job? Yeah. How many times do you see that? I, I've seen that where marriages fall apart. Both spouses have, you know, okay jobs or one spouse has a great job, but because of the failure of the marriage, they're no longer able to work that job. Like right. they're li like their lives have spiraled out of control due to, you know, circumstances and then that child support's gone. Right. So it's setting those real expectations of what can I afford on my own if I don't have child support. Right. Let's so let's talk about that. Yeah. Right? There's and I know we've addressed this in previous shows but I think it's important to recap it and talk to people about this stuff because this is where really where the rules are, right? So tell me a little bit about TDS and okay. GDS. Okay, so uh, GDS is considered gross debt servicing. Okay. Gross debt servicing is what you make on a monthly basis, so your mm -hmm. gross income, or, or yeah, sorry, <laughs> had a brain cramp there for a second. So your, your monthly income, yep. um, and then um, minus your principal and interest payment, mm -hmm. so your mortgage payment, yep. your taxes, yep. your property taxes, and your heating costs. Right. Generally speaking, it's called PITH, principal, interest, taxes, heat. Huh. Generally speaking, we're allowed to use a fairly low number for the heating costs. It's not hydro, it's your 150 heating. or something like 100 that. bucks is 100 generally. Bucks. Wow. You can go a little bit less for smaller houses and more lenders are instituting a higher amount for larger houses. Okay. But that is your gross debt servicing. So what you bring out on a monthly basis, prior to taxes mm -hmm. minus what you owe pay out right for your housing costs that's your gross debt servicing right and then what's that number supposed to be well they they're they're dependent a little bit okay so they're dependent on what's your credit look like uh that are you know if you have good credit you can sometimes push that a little push higher, a little higher. Right. Uh, and that's if, a discretionary thing i guess i didn't i didn't a, realize that. it's a lender thing yeah really? yeah absolutely okay. um if you're if you're um if it's a high ratio mortgage so if you're putting less than 20 percent down it can make a difference generally speaking most lenders can go to 39% of your income. On the GDS. On the GDS. Okay. Okay. Right, right. Now, 35, and that could change tomorrow. So don't quote me if this broadcast goes hmm. after the changes. But um, the total debt servicing is all of your housing costs minus okay. uh, and plus all of your other legal debt obligations. Right. So credit cards, credit lines, loans, child support or alimony. And that's payments. the big one, right? Yeah. Because those are included. And that. 
surprises a lot of people, right? Right. Sorry, hang on a second. We've got a fire, fire truck. Fire truck going by. <laughs> right. um, so, so in that total debt servicing, you have to account for everything else. And right. again, the the high number on that one is 44% of your income. Right. Okay. So for people that are just kind of like a little bit still miffed about it, right? Yeah. You take those numbers, mm-hmm. like all your debt, your visas and all the other debt that you have, yeah. you take that number yeah. monthly and you divide it yeah. by your income. So if you've got, let's say you're bringing in uh, every month. $4,000. Annual income. $4,000 a month. You're bringing in $4,000 gross. Yes. That's before all the taxes and stuff. So you've worked out in your mind that you make $48,000 a year. Right. Right. So then you divide that by 12, blah, blah, blah. And you take that $4,000 gross a month. You take that number. You take the total debt service or total debts you have that you're paying monthly. That's right. Take that number divided by the 4,000. That is your TDS. That is your TDS. That's right. So I usually like to do that with clients because even though it sounds simple to us, a lot of people will go, I have no idea. How did you get this percentage? Right. Right. And and it's funny because like my husband laughs at me and he says, you're terrible in math. (laughs) I'm like, I don't need to be good in math. I need to know the principles. Right. So years and years ago, we, my husband, I was on maternity leave. My husband had um, started a fairly new job making a significant amount more and we needed a, uh, we needed to buy a new car. So I just wanted to put it on, or a new to us car. I wanted to put on a credit line. So I I did online banking. I did, you know, we're called the, you know, the 1-800 number because I was on maternity leave and it was 10 o'clock at night. And I, I wanted to increase our line of credit. And they said, I'm sorry, Mrs. Murray, you don't qualify. And I'm like, that is ridiculous because we just bought this house and our debt servicing was fine. And we did it on a lower income. And so I know that my debt servicing can't be. So the next day I walked into the branch and the girl who'd taken my maternity leave, I said, go pull up my application. Cause I said, I know the numbers are wrong. Right. And she's like, okay. And I said, go to the tax portion. And she goes, okay. And they had $1,500 a month in tax in our tax portion oh. instead of 1500 annually or whatever that number was. Jesus. So I didn't know them. I didn't know specifically the math. Like I hadn't done that calculation, right. but I know the principles behind um, yeah. everything. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I can look at an application and I can say, um, this doesn't work. And I don't know why it's not working, but I know it should work. Right. Right. right? right so right, where right. have I made a mistake? Right. Right. So you got that high level kind of being, being able to analyze it. Right. Even though you're not in the weeds, you That's can kind right. of just visualize it and say, boom, this isn't going to work. Yeah. There's, there's no re or there's no reason why this isn't working. Where have I made a mistake or where's the mistake being right. made? And you can also, um, by doing that, you can also find the solution faster. Well, and that's the thing, you know, it's a matter of being, again, it's that creativity, right? right? It's, um, how do you how do you change this mortgage to work? So I, I want to talk a little bit about alimony, and and this is a key for people who are divorcing, um, or child support. Child support is the, is the better option. Um, child support in the payer's hands is a liability. Okay. Okay. So when you are as as a spouse or paying child support to somebody. It is included in your debt servicing as a liability. Right. Okay. It can have a huge effect on your debt servicing ability. It can have a huge impact on your ability to borrow. Mm -hmm. The beauty is that there are some lenders out there that will allow you to remove child support from the liability. So it's no longer in the liability section. Right. So $1,000 a month. $1,000 a month is huge. huge, Yeah. But a a very... And it's it's actually not that outrageous for child support. Correct. It's not outrageous for child support, but it's an outrageous (laughs) bill, quote unquote, 
in your liability section. Absolutely. Huge. But if I remove 12000 from your income mm-hmm. and do not show the li- do not show that in the liabilities. Right. It has a less detrimental effect. Yeah, and you've mentioned that to me before. I find that really interesting, right? Because it's almost like a it's the same by, amount of it, money, but but by not showing it, it almost improves the debt debt service ratio. It does. <laughs> it absolutely does. But not all banks or lending institutions, mortgage lending institutions, will allow you to remove it from. The, right. from the liability or section know, or know that they sh- they can do it maybe they just don't their policies don't allow it yeah, it's that and so <laughs> and, and and that's right and so it from my perspective is that that's a that's a pure joy for me to say well why don't we just remove this from your liability and we'll find you a lender that will allow us to use it in that way and and it just gives people the ability to get into their homes when they want to right again it's that stability of home ownership for people is some people is really important okay so i you know that is something you can do as well and then another thing um we can use child care benefits so the federal government okay. child care benefits yep. so for a lot of and I, you know i don't want to significant right yeah. i don't want to you know i don't want to broad stroke this but a lot of moms that are taking care of their kids have lower incomes because mm-hmm. they've been out of the workforce while they've been home taking care of their children and aren't in as high paying jobs and i'm i know i'm that's a pretty broad statement mm-hmm. but there are some lending institutions that will allow us to use the child support to help service the debt, and they will also allow us to use the child care benefits hmm. to help service the debt. And again, it's proportional, right? So as long as it's, you can use 100% of the child care benefit, as long as it doesn't represent more than 30% of the, the total income or 40% of the total income. Okay. So there's lots of ways, and again, not all lending institutions allow that. Right. And the kids have to be a certain age. Like they have to be 12 and under. Oh, They hit 12 and over because then you don't have that much time left before you're no longer receiving that child care benefit. Mm -hmm. So, and so there's lots of things that um, we as mortgage people have to know. Yeah, a lot of details. Yeah, and, and... The other thing is these rules. I know a lot of people have heard the stress test rule, and yes, and, and that's you know new. it's fairly new, mm-hmm. and it's 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 a completely different world out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, for people that are divorcing or people that are getting mortgages in general, to understand all of that mm-hmm. is impossible. Yeah, Be- it was kind of like the Wild West for a while, eh? When you when you look at it, I remember, and I think one of the challenges for millennials. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion, and and people in their 30s even in that area, um, they've grown up around interest rates that are like super, super low, right? Yes. And, I, and it's funny because I'll have this conversation with my parents and my parents are like eight, in their 80s, right? right? So when I was when I was young in, in the 80s, right, uh, I didn't have debt obligations. I was mm-hmm. a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. I was doing my thing, living life. It was large. I worked and got, got to keep all my money, right? But there was people who were losing their homes oh, yeah. back in, in that time 80s. because the interest rates were at 18, 19, 20%, 20%. right? So yeah. people were losing their homes. Fast forward to when I bought my first house, uh, I, my interest rate was, I think, seven and three quarters of per- yep. percent. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was my interest rate. So now interest rates uh, for the past, what, I don't know, maybe eight years, mm-hmm. six years have been 
under 3%. Yeah, probably they have declined. So right. they had declined, I should say. Right. They, probably even five, six years ago, they were four and a half, five percent And then okay. they dropped to record lows for yeah. qu quite a few years. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say about five years ago, they, it was when they really started to tank. Okay. You know, to the, you could get a, a variable rate mortgage at less than two percent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. And, and I think so. I think some people now mm -hmm. uh, are in a bit of a shock. They are because that increase now is starting to impact their their their, their TDS or GDS yeah. and 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 their monthly payment cash and their cash flow. Right. Right. So so tell me a little bit about um, pre qualifying. Okay. Right, because we talked a little bit about that at the beginning, but I want to come back around to that because sure. I think it, it's part of the planning process, sure. getting ahead of that curve. Right. So tell me about a bit about that. What do you do? So there, there's a couple of ways I do a, a pre-approval or a pre-qualification. Um, obviously, I take an application. I, I try to drill down and find out about as much of your debt obligations and your income. Um, and, you know, in the past, I used to just ask the questions and now I make them bring me in income verification mm -hmm. because a lot of people go, well, I make about 25,000 or I make about 55,000 and then I actually get their income and it's 48,000, not yeah. 55,000. I'm not sure how you made the mistake, but I get it. Right. So it's true. <laughs> it doesn't usually go the other way, right? No, oh, I make about 40,000 and no. it's like a person's bank at 60. <laughs> no, no. Generally speaking, or, or they say, well, I make a hundred thousand dollars and I'm like, okay, bring me two years of income. Mm -hmm. And I see that, oh, well, wait a minute. You only make 75 and last year you made 80 because you got $25,000 bonus. I can't use that bonus unless I can prove a history of the bonus. How many years? Two years of two, bonus? Two yeah. years. Yeah. Okay. So, or overtime income. Right. Or if you're part-time, if you're part-time um, and not guaranteed hours, I need at least two years. Right. Same thing with, with uh, business owners. Business owners. Someone self-employed. Two to three years. Real problems with that, Yeah, right? two to three years. And there's lots of, oh, don't, don't get me started on that. Because <laughs> more and more people are becoming self-employed, right? right? So what's the mantra I always say to our some of our business friends is if you are self-employed and you are thinking about buying a house, you come see me before you get your taxes done. Yes. <laughs> because tax planning is important when you're buying a house if your business for self. Right. I can, there, there used to be a product called stated income. Right. Where you could tell me, um, you know, you are a plumber and you, you know, you show $10,000 of income. But you really make... A hundred thousand. Right. In, in the glory days, you could do that, no problem. Now it has to be more reasonable. Okay. Right. So if you, so you can still do it, you can you, still do the there lender. is a, a little bit of that depending okay. on the lender, but more and more are going to want to see a reasonability, right? Is it reasonable that you claim 10,000, but I'm, I'm needing 60 to make the application work. Um, and the other thing you can use what are called ad backs. So you're allowed to use, um, motor vehicle allowance as a self-employed individual, you write off the use of your vehicle, yeah. you write off gas, you write off insurance, you write off, you know, a payment potentially you can use some of that. As if you're using that for business expenses, you can generally write add some of that back into your um, income. Mm -hmm. uh, if you use your personal home to 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 do the um, to to work from, you can add some of that back in to okay. your income. 
there is some reasonability there. And again, it's it's finding out which 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 hole you fit in mm-hmm. in the lending world. Um, but to go back to the pre-qualification question, so those are things that I really want to know. What does your actual income look like? I need, it's really, really important. It's mm-hmm. really important when you're going for, for a pre-approval is to be really honest with your broker. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your debt look like? What's your credit look like? Oh, my credit's fine. And then I pull a credit bureau and find out that you um, haven't paid your Bell Mobility or your cell phone bill for three months. Well, your credit's not good. Mm-hmm. You know, those are really important things. You need to know what your credit looks like, mm-hmm. especially if your business for self. Right. right. Um, and so those are parts and pieces I pull. Right. So if, you know, I, I can pretty well tell what a, you know, what a client knows. Like if they, if they have, you know, um, very little debt, good income, et cetera, et cetera. I ask them about their credit and they're like, oh, absolutely. My credit is great. Perfect. Well, you know, three years ago, I, you know, those types of, mm-hmm. I want to know that stuff. And it's not because I'm being nosy and I want to know all your information. I need to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So being honest with yourself, being honest with the person that's asking the questions. And it's, if you hide it, I guarantee I'm going to find out. Right. When I do pull that credit bureau. And when you, speaking about tr- credit bureau. If somebody wants to pull it themselves, where yeah. would they go? Yeah, so there's generally two um, credit bureau reporting agencies in Canada, TransUnion and Equifax. You can go online, you can pull your own credit bureau for free, and um, uh, and, and you can have a good idea. And right. lots of times people, I'll say, what's your credit look like? And they're like, oh, I just pulled my credit bureau. Send me a copy of that, right? Because right? it's going to show me, th- it's going to look completely different than the credit bureau I pull. Right. It's going to be completely different. People go, oh, I have a 700 score, and I pull it, and it's something different. It's okay. It's mm-hmm. going to be pretty accurate, right. but mine will look different. Yeah. Um, but I advise people to check their credit. All the time. I, You know what? I, I'm probably, I'm notorious for, for that myself, is there's services out there that will actually track your credit score for you and mm-hmm. update you on a three-month basis. Mm-hmm. So if something goes a little bit wonky, you can get on top of right. it right away. Or if someone uses your credit card, or Card. tries to apply for credit under your name. Yes. Um, then it will flag it. It will. Yeah. It will tell you that. That's um, huge. You know huge what? Stuff. And, so and much I think is relying on your credit score. I yeah. think we could have a whole other podcast yeah, about credit, yeah. undivorce related and divorce related. Yeah. Credit is so important. Yeah. And I think that we lack that. Oh my goodness! Don't let me get on this soap stand right now, Darren. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because right. it is a huge hot topic for it me. Is. Yeah. Because so many people have no idea what their credit is like. And they have no idea how important paying your credit cards, paying your credit lines, paying your loans is, how Mm -hmm. important it is to pay them on time. And cell phones. I was just about to bring that up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Cell phones have absolutely no help to you in building credit, but they hurt your credit. In a huge way. Several years ago, they did not report credit Uh, cell phones to your credit bureaus and so and now they do and i'm telling you it is amazing how badly it can affect your credit if you don't pay your cell phone bill on time so a key for me is most people do pay their credit card bills on time most people pay their credit card bills on time have your cell phone 
billed directly to your credit card. <laughs> you right. will never ever forget to pay the cell phone if it's always billed on your credit billed to your credit card. Yeah. And then you pay your credit card on time. Yes. Right? Yeah. And if and anyway, again, we can have a whole other topic. Yeah, I know. They, but... they changed the rules around it years ago. And I remember when they did that, I was thinking, you know, it's no longer a utility anymore, like a, like a te- typical bill. Mm-hmm. And now it's become something where they report on it more like a debt. It is. And, yeah. and uh, it literally takes one or two bad hits on your credit yeah. to drive your credit score down. So that's yeah. a... Scary thing, and you're right. We should probably. I don't. We don't really have a banker or a, or a credit specialist in our. Yeah, in we our have like group, like BDO. The oh yeah, when well, you're going the through debt it, can, stuff, yeah. yeah. But, you know, we'll and, and I think we probably should. Yeah. I, I think that it's it's it is a whole other topic, and I think that people going through divorce um, tend to. You know, you hear so many times people say, "Well, my credit tanked when I went through the divorce," right? Or my credit tanked when I went through the divorce, or I went from having you know X Y Z to now I have nothing you know and and that affected my credit when I went through my divorce and and I racked up debt because I went through my divorce and Mm -hmm. I think that it is a whole completely yeah we should talk about it we should you know what even though you know what I bet you we could have a round table of some people professionals that work with credit Mm -hmm. that uh you know we wouldn't have to necessarily have a credit specialist right but we could probably bring in enough people from the group to have a round table to talk about it Mm -hmm. um before we get off this there's a couple things because man you are just such a wealth of knowledge (laughs) like you're like you're a spring you're a spring of knowledge coming out right and then it's 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 good having you because i want but i want to get people the information because i know they're listening and they're probably like someone out there is on a treadmill right now listening to this podcast and i want to make sure i get the 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 juice right um time frame somebody's going through a divorce what do you think is a realistic time frame for them to prepare Mm -hmm. for getting a mortgage and getting a house that is an excellent question. <laughs> and and I don't know that there's a really good answer for that. Okay. Um, What's the minimum then? I don't know that there's a good answer for oh, that. You're killing me here. <laughs> you know, because every situation is different. Right. So right? you don't... Would, okay. So what time gives you enough to not be stressed about getting the deal done? Let me put it that way. You come to me with your separation agreement in hand. Okay. <laughs> And, and we're and, golden. You can and, have a mortgage next week if you qualify. Okay, and that, okay so there you go. That's a week. Yeah. A week, right? No, so. And, and so the thing is, if you if you have if you have and I'm not saying um, don't come to me after your divorce is done. I'm not. I'm, I'm, yes, come to me after your divorce is done. Come to me after your separation agreement is done. If you, but it's the pre-qualification piece, right? So you're in the process of doing your separation agreement you're in the process of going through all of these things you're meeting with your financial planner you're meeting with your accountant you're meeting with your lawyer you're meeting with your mediator you're meeting with all of those people part of that can be let's see what you qualify for now right. and then right? go shopping maybe even way before you go shopping right right so i'm going to say based on you being able to provide me with either the affidavit or the separation agreement this is what you qualify for because I've done your credit bureau, I've seen your income, uh, I know that all of these numbers work. Mm-hmm. This is what you could go look for. But don't go look now just because I've said this is what you qualify for. Right. Because that depends on where you are in the separation process. Right. Right? So there really isn't an answer. If you come to me with your separation agreement in hand, done, signed, sealed, and delivered, sure, let's go buy a house. Right? Right, right. Um, and, and I think that's the stress for you too, right? It was when people aren't prepared, they walk in, they say... I went and I looked at this house. I love it so much. I put an offer on it unconditional. I, 
See, no one on the podcast right now can see Tina's face, but she just literally shrunk about three inches. <laughs> and I'm not very tall, people. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'd be less than five feet now. Um, oh, my goodness. Always, always put conditional upon financing. Right. No matter what. Right. Even if I've given a pre-approval. Right. No Good. matter what. Put conditional on financing. Right, because you could be held liable and be sued if have, you don't if you don't get that financing. I have a client going through that right now, um, and, and they're not divorcing. It's just they they had the money to be able to pay for it outright, and so they didn't put conditional upon financing. Put conditional on other things, and um, my financing required an appraisal. And the appraisal uncovered things that the inspection did not and that the, the vendors, the sellers, lied about. Ooh. And so um, my clients are going to go to closing date and then just say we can't find financing. Mm -hmm. And that's what they've been advised by their lawyer, right? If we had not done the appraisal, they would have been spending $25,000 to fix the problems that were... Wow. Uh, lenders don't want to lend on. Right. Foundation issues, right? Oh, those are big. So I... I, I think that it's just prudent for anybody. And I know right now in the market, you know, a lot of a lot of the markets are tough. It's a buy it's a seller's market. Seller's market right. Yeah. So right now buyers are like, I really want that house. I'll offer fifty thousand more and no no conditions. Mm -hmm. It's the wrong thing to do. Can't do I, it. Yeah. I just I don't know. I guess no, that's common, eh? Fifteen, twenty thousand dollars over asking is 15? not uncommon in this area right now. Yeah. 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 Um and so the financing piece, when I have done a pre-approval, pre-approvals are good to give you an idea of what A, you would qualify for, or B, if you qualify for anything at all. Right. Okay. That's what a pre-approval does. Pre-approvals are not, I, there's no documentation that any lender has eyeballed in a pre-approval. Quite often, pre-approvals are, are what are called auto-approved. Okay. I send in my de my details, your details, submit it electronically, and I've had one come back in five minutes saying approved. Right. Pre-approved. Pre-approved. Okay? They haven't. Not not a human being has not looked at that pre-approval. Right. right. Some lenders actually do look at the pre They look at the application and then ask questions and then give a pre-approval. Right. But again, they've not eyeballed one document. And uh, you as a person may be pre-approved, but the piece of the puzzle in a pre-approval that's missing is the fact that the house is not approved. Right, right, right. So you as a borrower may fit the criteria. You as the borrower may meet all the guidelines to get a house. But what if the house doesn't meet the criteria? The mm. house you want to buy doesn't meet the criteria for whatever reason. Yeah. Right. Or the house is overvalued. Okay, and you that's a good point. You overpaid for it. And the lender says, mm, we want an appraisal. And the appraisal comes back 20K over purchase price, mm. which happens. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Then you got to come up with the 20000 additional on its own, plus the down payment yeah, on the, if it's say, say, say you bought it for 320 and it comes in at 300 um, you have to come up with, if you were putting 5% down, you have to come up with, Five percent of the three hundred yeah. plus the entire twenty thousand additional. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, the over the over value. Right, because huh. the lender's not lending on that value. Oh. And so when you go in, <laughs> no condition of financing, you run that risk. Does it happen often? No. Right. But it happens. Right. And I've seen it happen. 
Mm. And Scary, so eh? you and you tell your clients that like don't ever put it unconditional on financing because you have no idea what that lender will 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 want to see. Okay. And so a pre-approval is good and I think important and really good part of the process when you're going through it. Uh, through the separation, through the divorce, through all of the all the other things you have to do, but I caution you to not be in a hurry. Right. And I know that's tough. I know because people want to get it done and, and over with and get to the other side, and I totally get that. Right. But you don't want to do it at the expense of stress on yourself. Well, I and and your broker. Yeah, I'm gray. People, have you go check out my profile? <laughs> it's all because of your clients. Right? No, <laughs> husband. No. Oh, bread. Okay, okay. Last question. Last yeah. question. Yeah. Um, have you ever dealt with a situation where a uh, um, an ex spouse, soon to be ex spouse from a relationship, uh, would co-sign on yeah. a mortgage? Well, you know, I haven't actually ever had it happen but I advised a client to do that okay. and and you know in this situation these clients actually uh, reunited okay. and uh, are together again and um, maybe just needed that act of feeling like they were going through a separation to realize how how important they wanted to keep their marriage or that they were to one another but my advice in that situation was um, he husband made a lot of money and uh, she didn't and okay. she just started uh, her own business, and I couldn't use her income. Right. So uh, the best way to have made that work, had they wanted to do this, he wanted to buy his own house. Right. He wanted to take the. He wanted her to buy him out or to sell the house. And she, they had four kids, and she didn't want to. Mm. She didn't want the emotional attachment and the security of having that house. She didn't want it. Um, she didn't. She didn't want to leave it. Right. And so um, my advice was to say, okay, why don't he, why doesn't he stay on the mortgage? Mm -hmm. You, they had a like a, a mortgage and a line of credit, mm -hmm. so there was enough equity there that they could draw down on the line of credit to give him his down payment on a new place, mm -hmm. and um, he could then have bought another home, and it was going to work debt servicing wise. Hmm. And then I said, we do that for you know whatever period of time we need for you to be able to to get to a position where you can buy the house on your own. Right. And then at that point in time, then you can buy him out at that point. And that's a time. great situ uh, solution for him too because now mm -hmm. he's got an asset that's growing. Well, and you know what, to be honest with you, you and I had that conversation and when I advised my clients on that, I didn't I did not I did not think of that that aspect. That side of it? Yeah. 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 And so um, it, it worked it Again, we we didn't need to go down that road with them, but it was going to work financially for them, and um, it worked at servicing, and it was a win-win for everybody because cool. he got a house. He was going to be able to get a house, and she was able to keep the house for her and the kids. Awesome. So, you know, it's about it's to me. It's more than it's about <clears throat> what do, what do you need as a client? What do you need? What is the best thing for you? And I've I you know I've had clients come in that they I'm like you can't do this till you have the separation agreement. Right. You can't do this till you have the separation agreement. Go do the separation agreement. But at least we're talking. Let's keep those lines of communication open. Let me know where you sit. I'm going to work with you. And then I've had clients that, you know, yeah, okay, we'll wait, we'll wait, we'll wait. And then all of a sudden a month later, no, I got a house. I want to buy this house. And then, okay, let's get this done then, you know. And so do people sometimes do their own separation agreements? Yeah. yeah. Do they work? Yep. <laughs> Barely, right? But sometimes it can be a little iffy. And so, I mean, seek professionals. 
They okay. are, you know, there's lots of resources at DivorceNet. Yeah, absolutely. And which leads me right into my next question, yeah, yeah. which is um, don't be sad because I know you're going to be around for <laughs> all the other podcasts. All of those, all, all of you people out there who are listening to Tina right now, you can see what a wealth of information she is and how, how uh, genuine and spontaneous she is. Um, so we're going to wrap this up. Uh, how do people get a hold of you, Tina? Sure. So they can call me at 613-349-7359. They can stop by my office, uh, 2868 County Road 43. It's the Creekside Center. I'm actually located in uh, Kathy Shepard's office, Shepard & Associates. She's one of the accountants in our uh, organization. Um, T. Murray at dominionlending.ca is my email, or I have a website at tinamurray.com. CA. So, awesome. yeah, and awesome. I'm of course listed on the DivorceNet website. But, right. um, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks. I, um, I appreciate you being in the hot seat. <laughs> I know how it feels. I, and uh, we're going to leave yeah. it there. And uh, I, I really, really encourage everybody to check out DivorceNet, check out the professionals we have on it, yeah. and connect with Tina. Even, even if it's just for a coffee and a chat, because yeah. I'm sure she'll enlighten and brighten your day. Thanks for everybody for joining us. You've been listening to Clean Break, our weekly podcast on divorce. You can find this and other great advice from divorce professionals at divorcenet.ca, where we upload audio, video, and blog content every week.